0: Hey everyone, it's Abadessi, your host of Product Hunt Radio, where I'm joined by the founders, investors, and makers that are shaping the future of tech. I have a very exciting episode for you today. I am joined by one of my all-time favorite human beings on the planet, tech leaders and female founders, Sharma Dean reed the CEO and founder of Beauty Stack. She is probably one of the most famous entrepreneurs on London's startup scene right now, and we cover a lot in this episode. The future of beauty and tech for women and communities, the secrets of fundraising after she raised a whopping seed round earlier this year, led by Local Globe and Index Ventures, and her advice on leading a scaling team and creating a company culture that can last Of course, we also discussed the products she loves. Well, Sharmanine, I'm so happy to have you on Product Hunt Radio today. You know, I'm a huge fan of everything that you do. Um, You've been a real trailblazer and inspiration for me and many other women in tech women entrepreneurs, women of color, black and brown women. So it's wonderful to have you here and learn about your journey from Nails to Future Girl Corp to Beauty Stack. I always like to ask my guests to really share the audience, you know, who they are and what they're working on before I jump into the questions. So for those who aren't familiar with who Sharmadine Reed is, please tell us who you are.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. So yeah, I'm Sharma. I founded a nail salon 10 years ago. The process of building out that salon gave me some interesting insights about how women communicate with each other, about how they like to book treatments, about the type of things they like, about who the audience is, but most importantly, who the service layer is, who the professional is. And from that insight, I started building Beauty Stack. The process of me thinking about starting a startup is then why I started Future Girl Corp, because I essentially created a space where I could learn how to build a startup by interviewing people who'd done it. Um, So Future Girl Corp is a very informal organization whereby every month I would teach, you know, a group of women an actionable uh, skill rather than Inspirational panel talk. So it was always like, how to find a technical co-founder or how to write a pitch deck. And now, because I can't work on Future Girl Corp as much as I did before, we've put that online. So if you go to the website, you can now start your own Future Girl call. That was always the idea. So it's almost like a girl book club. You know, mm-hmm. I want girls to be starting their own business clubs everywhere. So what I'm working on now is Beauty Stack, which is a social network meets a marketplace where you book trending beauty treatments purely off images and you transact in a social network environment. So, yeah, it's been a very fun journey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. I remember coming to my first Future Girl Corp. Uh, event. And just like you said, it was really full of practical information. The session that I went to, Michelle Kennedy, CEO and founder of Peanut, was talking about how to raise funding and also talking about like legal and contracts and the importance of that. And in terms of sharing practical information, it was incredible because I'd already been a few months into incorporating my business, negotiating contracts with clients, this is like Hustle Crew, the workshops and training I did, and I was just like, "Oh, I haven't been using contracts." Mm. And I suddenly Mm -hmm. thought, oh my gosh, like I'm completely exposed here. And it's incredible how you
1: just don't know what you don't know until someone tells you. You're so right. That's exactly it. Because people are always like, well, the information's out there. And I'm like, but sometimes you don't know what to Google. You don't know what the search term is. You don't know about good lever, bad lever. I'd never heard of that before I started a startup. Do you know what I mean? So I think that I'm so privileged to have an amazing network of women like Michelle. You know, Michelle was a lawyer and like completely senior like lawyer at startup who's been through this so many times. I'm like, share the knowledge. Yes. You know what I mean? Tell tell everyone because I just went through all those mistakes myself and I was like, I don't want to hear any horror stories of other girls going through that. So yeah, that was really the instigator for it.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And in terms of having content, which was very action oriented and like related to the business. What I really enjoyed about that first evening that I went was I then got to meet some incredible women, including like Serena Abbasi, who ran an organization to, yeah, make the media sector more inclusive. And now she's at MNC Sachi leading culture there. And inspired by that talk we had really frank conversations about how much we were charging clients for workshops how much we were charging for speaking engagements and that was really the first time that I realized I could ask about money things so directly because I think I was just too shy to do that before which is weird because as a business owner or an entrepreneur you should definitely not be shy about money but yeah it was nice to have a space created where we could speak to each other at that level.
1: Well, if we unpack a few things from what you said, it's like, it's nice to go to a thing where there's actionable stuff. That's just my personal preference. I'm a very pragmatic, logistical type person and I like to get things done and not have wishy-washy bits in between. So that's just the way I like to run things. Secondly, I think I'm really, really good at creating spaces for other women to connect so that Serena is amazing. And the fact that you now know her because of that, if you imagine that's what we built a salon for proudest thing for me is the like, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of connections between women that we've created over the last 10 years, like that makes me happy. And then the other thing you said is she's now doing culture at MC Saatchi. I'm like, I have a really good attraction for like, women who are going to be amazing. <laughs> amazing. Do you know what I mean? Like are all the the original Wild Girl crew who were like 14 and 15 when I met them, like they're all doing such incredible things now. It makes me so proud. And on top of that, I use them for services. Amazing. Like I use them to decorate the salon if they're now doing interior design. I use them to supply the flowers if they're now florists. So I think yeah, it's it's a really emotional cuz I'm closing War this year and it's a really emotional thing for me because I'm like oh my god from 25 to 35 my life has been consumed by communities of women (laughs) (laughs) it's it's good but it's like very emotive also
0: yes I can imagine I mean communities are at the core of everything that you do beauty is at the core of everything that you do I'm gonna be a bit of a fangirl here but I love following you on Instagram because I feel like you are an expert when it comes to putting a look together. And it's quite fun to have a tech CEO of a venture backed company. I mean, you know, you raised a 4 million pound seed around earlier this year, who also has that side of things. I feel like I grew up in a world where CEOs were always guys and always very serious. It was a very kind of cookie cutter dimension to it. So I just wanted to talk a bit about your personal journey with beauty. Because I think a lot of the time when we think of leaders, and we think of CEOs, we think of like their domain expertise, like spaces that they've grown up around. And I feel like for you, fashion and beauty has always been a core part of your life and your identity. So talk to me a bit about that.
1: Yeah. And that's why it is my domain expertise. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually studied to be, I mean, you can't study, but I went to fashion school. So I did a fashion communication degree at Central St. Martins. I graduated with the first, I started doing a master's in cultural theory, but then at Goldsmiths. But I was getting so much work that I kind of loved having money for the first time in my (laughs) life and never finished my master's, sadly. So I was always flipping between, like, aesthetics and academia. My look and my personal style, to me, is its the reason I like fashion. Because to me, fashion and beauty is essentially how we as, you know homo sapiens show our tribes it's the way that we say this is who I am and this is what I stand for and what I believe in and for me being a bit extra with my look (laughs) is testament to how my mind works it's like when you see people I think you know that meme they're living in the future that guy's living in 2037 I'm like with my outfits I'm like if you see me or my friends you know my international girl career I'm like we're living in the future and if we're living in the future through our look because we create like I'll wear something and then you know my friends in New York will be wearing it too and then all over the world we're like creating micro trends of stuff it means that I know what users will want after me if that makes sense so all of this feeds into my work because I build for anomalies and I build for like the girls who are living in the future. I build for girls who are like international travellers, who have high expectations of experience, who spend a lot of money on fashion and beauty, because I I believe that if we build a product that works for them, it will work for everybody else over time. Um and also it's aspirational. It's like you want to be living in the future. Yeah, who doesn't I mean <laughs> some people like, you know, traditional past but which I do also but it's more just like if you see me And how complex, like I've always got loads of jangly things and stuff. (laughs) Like right now, just for context, I'm wearing like a pink, what kind of top would you call this? I would call it like a kind of like
0: crop strappy top. Like a crop. It's like satiny silky. It's
1: like a renaissance, (laughs) like a Victorian pink crop top (laughs) with like baggy trousers I look like a backing dancer from 2003 (laughs) and then a pink ribbon in my hair and then loads of gold jewelry yeah it just means there's so much going on with my look I think there's a reflection of so much going on in my mind yeah um like a time traveler yeah (laughs) you're like a renaissance painting on the top and then a 90s backup dancer exactly (laughs) um and you know what's really funny I was listening to Khaleesi the other day who's just the original icon and Khaleesi's Caught Out There, that I song, I love it. Right? It's such a good song, but what I find hilarious is how she cusses out her, you know, the other woman by yes. saying she's so basic. She dresses, I can't believe you go out with someone who dresses like that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because she's like, how I dress is a reflection of me and I'm like, yeah, she, that. of all the things she could have said yeah. for Khaleesi... Her personal style is so important to her identity that she's like, how on earth could you go out with such a basic girl? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a woven thread through my work. But, you know, look, if you scratch the surface of fashion and beauty, like I said before, it really is from a, it's almost like ethnography why do we dress the way we dress? How are we communicating who we are? How does, do all these materialistic signifiers tell you and the world around me this is who I am and what I stand for? And like you said, it's, um, it's not common, right? It's like, Imagine how many of the same type of guy walks into pitch meetings and then I walk in and there's just so much going on for them to absorb. That's new
0: um,
1: information, new visual information that it definitely wakes people up if they've been doing all days of partner meetings, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) I like that. I think it's true. I think of myself and why I invest in the fashion products that I do and why I invest in the beauty products that I do. And it goes so much more beyond just being another consumer product that I I need. It does relate so strongly to my sense of self in the world and like how I navigate the world. And exactly like you said, how I want to be perceived and how I want to, yeah, how I want people to think of me. So I think it's, it's really great that you kind of like touched on that and shed some light on that. Now, rewinding a bit to graduating from university, getting booked for a lot of
1: work, was that for styling or what, what did that look like? So the first ever job I got as a freelancer, so I worked my whole way through university, which is why I was able to get work so easily. My first job before starting, like a month before my course started, I worked for Nicola Formichetti and Kim Jones. Oh, wow. So Kim Jones is now big time amazing Mm. he's so well both of them are so incredible and that was my only real education I had two of the best and then my third best boss was Joanne Furness who was the then editor at Arena Home Plus magazine so I worked for those guys all the way through my degree and then the first independent job I got was styling a Nike shoot in Milan with 25 Influencers, but you have to remember that 10 years ago, that world word did not exist yeah, publicly. That's true. So uh, yeah, it was more like 12 years ago. Influencers was a term that Nike invented as far as I'm concerned. Wow. But it was like private, like you never externally referred to the phrase influencers. And yeah, it was people like, so Ken Capello did the photography. He's an amazing photographer. He's a, from, mm. uh, based in America. And then I had, call people from amsterdam from l.a from new york from like paris milan imagine 25 of the coolest people it's like an instant hit (laughs) so the way you know what so much of my previous life has i've has translated incredibly to The work I'm doing now because when people want to understand virality yes the world of styling or fashion shoots is incredibly viral because if you imagine that every time you do a shoot let's say you're doing one shoot a fortnight you meet 10 new people on set you meet A creative director, a new photographer, a new makeup artist, to makeup artist assistants, a hairstylist, lighting directors, all of these people. And you bond with them intensely to create art yes a visual you it's almost like you know how you bond with people when you travel together yeah of course. a lot of shoots travel you're traveling as well so you have intense period mm. with these people and so therefore they're your instant best friends got it right and then you do it all again two weeks later so when people in fashion have like loads of friends yeah it's because you genuinely do because you've like met 10 new people every two weeks and or it's 25 got if it. it's a shoot like that so that world that I lived in was incredibly inherently viral. It meant that by the time I came up with WA, the, uh sorry, yeah, the idea for War Nail Salon, because i would been working on the fanzine since I was at university anyway, I just knew so many people all over the world from styling for Nike and Amazing. ASOS and did bits for Reebok and Levi's and all kinds of youth culture brands. So I would either put clothes on people, or I'd write about what clothes to put on people. Nice. So I'd write trend reports on, insights that I'd seen. It was amazing and fun and definitely was a good foundation for what I'm doing now because yeah. it's about user behaviour, it's about customer insight, it's about understanding which user moves the needle and mm. which user can create virality versus ones that don't. Yeah, I'm. my journey has gone in, not in a straight line, but it, I'm in the perfect place. I was going to say, it, it has all still connected in, in quite a
0: valuable way. I think it's quite interesting because there's certainly this trend of predicting the future or anticipating the future or putting yourself in the minds of future thinkers or like future stakeholders in everything that you do. And I just wonder, do you feel that there is some like skill you've been able to hone through that work that lets you let's say apply it now in terms of thinking this is where the beauty industry is going or this is where beauty practitioners will be going sort of identifying those things maybe before they've even found a way to
1: vocalize it it's a really interesting question because I ask myself it all the time not just about being able to know what's coming next but generally why I am the way I am Okay, if I was to offer practical help, practical advice, it would be to just ask people about their lives and read between the lines. I have a natural curiosity and interest in people, but I have an interest in weird people, not just like, (laughs) like let's say I'm at a party and someone got introduced to me. I wouldn't typically just start like, asking them loads of questions but there will just be something and that's the intangible thing that i can't quite right. share there'll just be something about them that will make me think i want to know more about you mm. and then i'll start asking them everything <laughs> you know well where did you grow up like what did you write your school dissertation on you know not obvious things like, well, I do like, what music do you listen to? But I might be like, when I know where someone grew up, it tells me a lot about them, right. can, you know, what, how old they are. And I can kind of put them in a context of a time and place. Because I think your teenage years are so formative for the rest of your life. I ask them all these kinds of questions, but I don't ask them what they think of stuff. I'm just asking them. And then I'm making assumptions based on what they're telling me. So while the conversation's going, I'm trying to either confirm or deny my assumptions right? right so i do it in interviewing as well like for example we hired a back-end engineer who is 34 the same age as me and from wolverhampton okay my hometown yes. <laughs> so because he's 35 and from my hometown i'm like what school did you go to so he tells me what school so i'm building this picture of him and I basically just know what he's like. Do you know what I mean? I know, <laughs> yeah. I know the music he was listening to. I know what his clubbing experience was like. Yeah, very. Important. I know where he went raving, like when he was seventeen. Like, I know the type of city he grew up in and what how it possibly made him feel. So I am just trying to confirm my assumptions all the time through conversation. Um, the second thing I do, which I think helps massively, is I read so much and i read really varied stuff so trends across journalism and any type of writing you'll just see flutter of patterns which is what predicting the future is yeah. right so you know i'll be reading about like gig economy in bloomberg business week and then i'll read about how flexible working is on the rise and I'll read about how, you know, the Indian, a report on the Indian economy of the amount of um, unpaid work that women do and what the contribution to the economy of women were working. And then I'm like, okay, boom, the future of work for women is. And then I look at things like where things have been successful and where there's opportunities. So I think, you know, I heard an amazing stat at a, panel discussion once where a woman said that employment opportunities for immigrant men in the UK had gone up by like 12% over the last five years and I was like oh that's cool but she didn't say any more. so then my brain starts going right so I'm like I wonder why that is well obviously Uber and Deliveroo are probably the two easiest jobs you can get if you're a newly arrived person in the UK right and I'm like well, why is that an immigrant men thing and not a women thing? Well, you wouldn't feel safe. Who wants to be cycling around, getting sweaty? Mm, yeah. Um, you know, there are all these reasons. So then I'm like, okay, well, what can I do to fill that role? Well, you know, almost every immigrant woman can do some form of beauty because they've yeah. had to do it on themselves. <laughs> they've had to braid their hair, you know, do clean their face, whatever it is. So I'm like, okay, bring all of this information. And, you know, I've just mentioned a few select things, but I will have an entire thesis on the future of work for women. And I'll be like, well, this is how we fit fit in. So it's definitely pattern recognition nice. across a varied range of sources and also looking at cycles. So Ooh. everything is cyclical. Nothing is truly new, right? It'll just be a new execution of an old idea. So I was thinking about, I always look, in fact, I said it today in a meeting, we're doing a product meeting for gift vouchers. Gifting is huge in beauty. And we're trying to decide what the flow is of where a gift voucher appears in the booking like process. So I said to the team, when we have difficult decisions like this, what I try and do is think, what would a human do 20 years ago Mm, to, to do this? Well, I know what, a woman would do 20 years ago she'd cut out a coupon from the cereal box she'd (laughs) cut out a coupon from cosmopolitan she'd have all these different vouchers and then when she goes to like sainsbury's she'd hand them over at the checkout and the guy would (laughs) scan them all one by one to go through and then the discount would be applied at the end So that's what we need to do. We need to have a wallet of all these varied vouchers. Mm. A voucher might come from us as Beauty Stack. It might come from another pro to another pro. It might be a discount code that we've just distributed. We need a wallet with all these different vouchers in so you can select the voucher or apply or just hit, like, apply all vouchers and see what... Do you get what I'm saying? So I, I think cyclically, like, what, you know, nothing is new. So what were you doing 20 years ago or 200 years ago? I also read a lot of history for the same reason, because I just think, again, humans are quite basic, really, (laughs) in the way that they operate. And whatever was done before will probably happen again. We just have better tools to do them.
0: I think um, there's a lot to learn from that and a lot to unpack in that. History definitely probably repeats itself I I feel like we certainly see that happening even if you just look at like current affairs and stuff like that which is interesting but certainly being being able to like identify trends and identify patterns is very important and I feel like that's why people who are always like passionate about a space or just have an incredible amount of knowledge within a space end up being very successful business leaders within that space because they are already equipped with like the information and the tools to identify patterns you know what I mean like you need to be comfortable and competent within a domain to be able to connect the dots or go one level up and to the point that you're making about interviewing that person like okay what's like the context and like what's the other context I can read from this and stuff like that so I'd love to focus a bit on beauty stack and also there was some great news that came out earlier this year that you raised your four million pound seed round which is awesome great investors like index and local globe Reflecting on that fundraising journey versus, let's say, starting out with one else 10 years earlier, what are the things that you have learned about fundraising that you feel are like founder best practices? And maybe in particular ones that aren't often included in, in those like lists of like, oh, this is what you definitely have to do. Just like your own personal experience, like what do you feel really helped you win such big names and yeah, convince folks that this is
1: going to be Yeah, a billion dollar idea one day. I think that the thing that really held me in good stead was the time I spent to work on my own personal and company theses, theses, (laughs) Theses. (laughs) that was the most invaluable thing I'd done. So we often sit there and have a business idea and do a pitch deck and you'll do what's called market research market research is not the same as writing your own thesis of how the future is going to look. So I had a private blog and I would write all my big thoughts down. So like I mentioned earlier, the future of work for women. Another one might be why the time is right right now. Another one might be why I'm the right person right now. And I would write this in a password protected blog. And anytime an investor wanted to see the inner workings of my mind they could go there cool. and understand it because you can't get that stuff across completely in the 15 20 minutes that you might have to pitch but the process of doing it allows you to really really chisel away at the at the kernel of the idea i moved back to my hometown for 18 months to give myself the time and space to think about my entire life, but also the time and space to think about the exact kind of business I wanted to build. So I would be deadly sure that when I entered that business, I it was by choice because with War, I opened a now salon for me and my friends and it suddenly became this huge thing and it wasn't my choice. Got it. I I was going to be a stylist and a creative director. <laughs> you know, this thing happened to me and I was like a passive participant in... I was like, damn, I better run this business because people really like it. It wasn't a choice. So I thought about what made what well successful and what I enjoyed doing, if it was personally pleasurable to me. And I wrote a list of all that stuff. And then I was like, well, I really like helping women make more money. So how can I do that? But also I'd really like to build a huge company, like a big global company. And obviously technology is the best way to do that. So, because I' spent so much time mental energy on the business before I even put pen to paper, the pitch deck and the fundraising part was I am an eternal optimist, so I always have good memories, but it was it was I don't want to dismiss it by saying it's effortless. But I'd just done all the hard work in my head. Got it. You know what I mean? So you had the conviction. I had the conviction. I had the answer. Every time I had a difficult, every time I had, I mean, I did loads of pitching at pre-seed, pre-seed levels. So when I got my first funding from Local Globe, I pitched quite a lot. But every time I did a pitch, whatever any investor would say, I would write it down. And I'd write like three responses to it. Wow. Because when you write it, it's cemented in your head. So then the next time you pitch, it gets better and better and better until these things are rolling off the tip of your tongue and and you're actually anticipating their pushback. And then what you realize is the better quality investor you get, the less like unthought through the questions are anyway. So then you don't. Do you get what I mean? So I think that is an important part that people don't talk about enough, which is do your homework. I would just, Mm. I can't stress that enough. I would listen to every investor I wanted. If I had a meeting, I would Google them, listen to every podcast, read every interview. I'd look at all their previous investments. I would look at when that investment was made. I'd then look at that portfolio company and think how well are they doing now have they raised their next round of funding i would try and think about why they possibly might have invested in that company and if there were any similarities to us that i could pull from so i would go into the meetings like very very prepared and they might not know that because they I, they think i'd just be having a normal conversation but i was tweaking my pitch every time to the person who was sat opposite me and the things that they like thought were valuable about my story. So, yeah, I would say doing your homework. Also, although it seems incredibly strategic and almost manipulative, the process of doing it helps your business get better because, you know, on the whole, most of them have been incredibly successful and incredibly experienced. So if they say, we look for businesses that do, like... You know, I listened to a podcast this morning, Andreessen Horowitz, it said online to offline. And if you do online to offline, like you have a digital product that delivers a physical service or product like Uber is online to offline. You need to have hardcore operational experience and stuff. But we look for online o O. they called it businesses. So I was like hmm, O2O, I never thought about that. How do we fit into that? Mm. Because if we don't fit into it, then I need to do the thinking to fit into it because clearly they're very successful. Maybe I should listen to their advice. So yeah, it it may sound stalkery and manipulative, but it helped me shape my proposition. It got better, you know what I mean? Every time. When I started working on Beauty Stack, it was actually meant to be like Tumblr for beauty. So it was a web-based product. It was going to be B2B, like a monthly subscription. Instead of reblogging or liking a picture, you would book it. And the line was like, reblogs and likes, don't put food on the table, you know. Mm. But then the more that I thought about our product, I was like, this is a this is an app. And actually, that's a very different type of business. So let, let me look at all the types of businesses that fit into ours through what investors say about these types of businesses. So, yeah, that's the level Mm. that I went to. And it's almost like when people say to me that they have difficulty raising, I think, you know, we always say in the office, are you doing the most? Yes, I love that. (laughs) Ellen and Rihanna, you know, our brand team, they say always extra (laughs) and doing the
0: most. (laughs) Yeah, it's so important. I feel like those actually something that I would call quite intentional about that approach you've taken. First of all, starting with the introspection with yourself, you created the space to think about why you, why now, all the things that are essential to answer to an investor. And then secondly, researching your money I feel is actually a very wise decision a founder should make you want to be in a position where you're picking from the best because you're bringing in the expertise that you need or joining the community of the portfolio that makes the most sense and aligns with your long-term vision and I would say that if you're not doing that as a founder then like maybe you haven't really thought it through Mm. enough you know what I mean I actually wanted to like push you a bit more on that because So at the time of recording this, Diversity VC have just published some really interesting data about like the UK venture scene. And unsurprisingly, it talks of the homogeneity in the scene, not that much representation from women, not that much representation from people of color. I just wonder, since Beauty Stack is based on this thesis that you've crafted from all of this research about the future of women working in the beauty sector, flexible working, often women from migrant backgrounds. Was that a concern that you had going out into the VC world, that you would effectively be pitching something to folks who weren't familiar with the idea or hadn't even, like, done a beauty treatment themselves?
1: Not at all. I actually found sometimes the opposite for some women. So, for example, firstly, everyone in the Western world, has consumed a beauty treatment because men go and get their hair cut. That is a beauty treatment. That's true. So they will have experienced it, even if not on the level that we would be doing it. You know, and and they have women in their lives and they all know how those women interact. And to be honest, if you are in front of an investor who doesn't get your world because they don't personally live it, then you shouldn't even... Be talking to that investor because they're clearly not a dynamic human being you know <laughs> just because I don't you know use the NHS doesn't mean I don't know how it works like right, yeah. you <laughs> know what I mean so I think that that's a really important thing that as a founder there are there is there is so much capital out there right now you really do if you if you are a good founder you have a lot of options and you should be just as discerning as they are, I think. And I mean, that's just my personal ethics, right? Like I really care about, I'm a very loyal person and I really care about being with a crew for a very long time, which is convenient because funds last 10 years. So (laughs) (laughs) when I pitched to people and if they didn't get it in the beginning, I would find it incredibly frustrating there are definitely two or three meetings in my lifetime where I've been visibly like uh, frustrated, like angry. Because I'm like, why can't you see what I see? So then my method is always to take responsibility for that and be like, well, my pitch clearly wasn't that good. Yeah. Because if you can't see what I see, I'm doing a bad job at it. So then I need to like, but that's just me. I'm always going to be hard on myself like that. <laughs> But I definitely found from some women, so my first ever, Suzanne Ashman at Local Globe wrote my first check and she is nice. incredible and just a wonderful human. And I have a lot of women on my cap table who completely get it. But I did find that reverse thing which I thought was quite fascinating in Brotopia. Brilliant book. Um really it's so good. You haven't read it? Not yet. Oh my god. <laughs> I wanted to read it so bad, I actually downloaded it on my phone. Oh, I was wow. I was in the countryside and I read the whole thing on my phone in oh like a day. Yeah, but there's this thing where female VCs almost don't want to invest in women because they don't want to be the only female VC who brings female products to the firm. So I, I had a couple, but it's crazy how fast things change. Like, that wouldn't even be a thing now. Yeah. As little as two years ago, when I was pitching the first time round, there were a couple of women who definitely, what's the word, like, blocked me. Yeah. For sure. 100%. And I'm like, that's cool. (laughs) I also think that because I have quite a clear, outlined, and very dominant and ambitious plan... I think it would overwhelm some people or or seem complicated to some people. But I just think that, you know, I believe in law of attraction. I think you, you put the right message out there and the right investors will find you because Suzanne actually always says that I'm really bad at asking for money. <laughs> I never, like, you know, I'll just be t- la, 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 I'm building this business. <laughs> and I'll, I'll never be like, so, do you want to invest? So I'm trying to get better at that.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I, I wanted to ask you, because you are certainly one of the hardest working people I know, how do you work on your founder mindset and your personal development? Like Before I jump into like your role within Beauty Stack, I just want to know on a personal level, because at Product Hunt, we have this conversation all the time. Everyone in the community is aspiring to something, whether they're still studying and trying to break into tech, whether they're working on a side hustle, trying to get it out into the world. Even if they're just like a founder trying to launch or trying to grow, get their first thousand app downloads, million app downloads, there's this real theme of self-improvement because there's this awareness that the success of your business depends on the success of you as an individual. And I know that continuous learning is something that's really big to you. You've already mentioned this, but you know what are those other things that you prioritize in your life so that you can be the most effective founder you can be?
1: Firstly, having a personal mission. I actually would also recommend that for fundraising in that I love this analogy of missionary founders and mercenary founders. And when I first heard about it, if you Google it, it's really fascinating. When I first heard about it, I was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely a missionary. Like, I think that good investors want missionary founders and cultivating my personal mission is so... It keeps me on the straight and arrow. It gives me that North Star that, regardless of how the business um, pans out, my personal mission, I own that. Like, just me. Do you get what I mean? So, that was like super important in terms of that founder mindset. I think that the difference between a founder and an entrepreneur is like a founder, it's a calling. And an entrepreneur, you know, you're building businesses and you're building incredible businesses and you see brilliant opportunities. But I feel like founders, it's a calling. Like genuinely, I love what I do, but I would love to just be doing some really basic stuff. But I feel obligated to do this. And I think that's the mindset that I've always had. If I, if I see something, I think, well, you know, it's quite, egotistical but i think only i have this unique insight therefore i have to make it a thing because if i didn't do it i'm like who else is going to do <laughs> it? it has to exist so yeah i'd say that that's super important is to be mission driven have your own personal mission and the mission should ideally last beyond the company i know that my personal mission will last a good few decades um even if god forbid that doesn't like my personal mission will carry on then I would advise you mentioned it briefly actually but defining your own level of success this is so important because I think you can have a calling as a founder and happily say my level of success is that I'm going to build a business that turns over like a hundred grand a year and changes the lives for these you know one thousand people in my small town and that is totally amazing But because you asked for it, Mm. you defined it. Do you know what I mean? You said, this is what is going to work for me. It's going to make me happy. It's going to work for my lifestyle. There might be another founder who's like, my level of success is a 10 billion comp, 10 billion dollar company that operates in, you know, a hundred countries around the world and employs a thousand people or something. And that's, they've defined their level so I think again thinking about a north star you have to define that really early on because if you are all my analogies are meme driven these days <laughs> there's an amazing meme where this guy is like out to sea and then he gets taken by the waves and then he just lies back and lets the waves take him <laughs> and I think that 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 is peaceful but also dangerous because you're you're not in control Mm. you know there's no free will there so I think having the clarity in what's right for you is important because otherwise the danger zone is you're judging yourself by what other people's level of success are or you forget what you're happy with so, you know, you might be building this hundred grand company for the thousand people in your village and then your mate across the roads, like turning over a million and you're like, fuck, why am I t- not turning over a million? But you forgot that actually that hundred grand was all you needed. Yeah. So if you define it, it's you, you stay in your lane. It's so important because it's very easy to get distracted. Oh, yeah, by other people, especially because Crunchbase is announcing raises every day oh, all the time, yeah. like actually i I get that email to basically bolster me because i'll read I'll read that some crazy like I don't know pet food businesses <laughs> raised like five hundred million, and I'm like, oh yeah. We can do this, you know. <laughs> so I, I, I think that, but it's easy to also get distracted by similar, by your peer group. So yeah, have a mission, have a definition of success and then just know what you need to feed you. So you might need, you know, it might be physical. It might be, I need to do, you know, squash every day or whatever. It might be, I need to have loads of sex might be (laughs) i need to have a massage once a week because physical needs are incredibly important of course and then you have your emotional needs you know what do i need i need to feel safe i need to feel in a stable relationship i think so many people who are founders drop out of the game purely through personal traumas oh definitely like just limiting beliefs and personal traumas i Mm. couldn't have built beauty stat when i was 25 because I was having a baby, going through a breakup, moving house, deciding what to do with my life, Saturn's return, all of this crazy stuff. <laughs> you know, I have such a sense of not complete inner peace whatsoever. I'm constantly in emotional turmoil, but it's a higher level of it. It's mm. more like, what's my life's meaning? Rather than, oh my God, why doesn't that boy like me? <laughs> yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? And I think that. Knowing what satisfies you physically, emotionally, socially, these things are really important because the way that I view my role as a founder is remove all obstacles to genius thinking, like remove all obstacles to mental clarity, to intellectual greatness. Like how can I almost achieve a higher level consciousness of thinking to see that next big idea um, so that removing those, those obstacles might be a hire a cleaner so I don't clean my house. It might be, you know, the shared childcare that I have with my son's father. It might be not having friends who make me feel judged or criticized. You know, it might be not going out to a rave because the next day I've got a board meeting. Yeah. Whatever it is, I try to be so disciplined with my life because there's too much at stake here and I really know what I want and I know how quickly I want it so yeah I just think when you're a founder it's like being a high performance athlete yeah you've got a like why would you even think that you could get through the day without help in the same way an athlete needs help there's so much on your shoulders there's so much at stake sometimes I come home at the end of the day and it's literally like I'm coming home it's nice summertime at the moment, so it's a balmy evening and I'll be walking home at nine ten o'clock at night. I'm like, how the hell did I do all the stuff I did today? <laughs> yeah. I just, I'll think it and I'll have a little laugh, you know what I mean? I started my day at 7am as a mom, then I'm like being a CEO, but really I'm being a product manager. Yeah. Then I'm being a PR girl, then I've got to do an interview and I've got to do a photo shoot, then I'm mentoring someone and I just switch through these different hats like one at a time. And by the end of the day, I'm, I'm totally drained.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And I'm
1: just like, I need to look after myself Mm. Yeah, to do the things that I need to do.
0: You're also creating content throughout all of those things, which (laughs) I love watching and reading. But I often think that too, like, wow, you, every minute of your day, there's output from you. You know what Mm. I mean? Like, as you say, like, whatever role, whatever role you're fulfilling, I do think that's why it takes a certain energy slash madness to be a founder because there is bizarrely like like you, you mentioned ego here, like, okay, your vision of the world, you have to be the one to execute it. But at the same time, there's also like sacrifice on the other side of that coin because you're choosing to take a very difficult path ultimately to, to change the world, uh, shape the world. And the requirement of that is time, work. And like you say, discipline, I feel like discipline as well. It's like a muscle mm. and you have to work it and exercise it and strengthen it. Like Ryan Hoover, who's like the CEO of product Hunt. He's one of the most disciplined people I know, you know, he wakes up so early, like five First thing he does is check product Hunt, of course, you know, check his emails. He answers every, you know, message that he gets, whether it's from a community member on Twitter or on email, he's obsessed with his product. You know, mm. he's obsessed with it. And it's, His life, and there is a certain madness to that, I think. And I think sometimes it's kind of okay to like admit to it as long as, like you said, you are still doing the things that are required to stay alive because we don't maybe highlight enough how important it is to stay healthy and stay balanced. I'll share one example. I've been mentoring a group of under 25s here in London who are interested in breaking into tech or becoming founders themselves. And I just did this talk on like resilience. I asked them you know, what do you do to support your mental health, to support your physical health? And when it came to like mental health, I asked, you know, raise your hands if you have a support network and only half the room raised their hand. And that made me quite sad because I think going back to your point, think of the number of people who've quit or given up, or stopped working on their dream because there was no support network around them to help them overcome those difficult times. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about the future of work particularly uh, with your CEO hat on. You're very open about how you've grown your team and how you're developing your team. You have an amazing newsletter, which I read, but you also like share stuff on Medium and on Twitter. I'm curious to hear what are some of the things that you are prioritizing as your team scales so other managers who are listening out there can learn some from your advice. So
1: the thing I'm prioritizing right now is... My understanding of how the team fit together, like Jenga, looking for big gaps in the team. It take oh my god, it takes so much work.
0: <laughs> like
1: you know, I do an org chart in the form of a spreadsheet. Actually, before it becomes a diagram, and in that spreadsheet, I am writing what everyone does, who they are, and their title, but not just their title, a strap line what they do and then also what their future role would be in a year's time because obviously it really helps to plan people's future out they love that but then i can got big red squares of gaps um there's a whole other layer on top of it in terms of personalities as well so we do a lot of personality testing and talking today i discovered we have two brand new myers briggs in the team which is so amazing can you imagine we've lasted this long with no the personality type is called The Defender
0: Oh, <laughs> and they're
1: amazing and now we've just got two, two <laughs> and I'm so happy cool. because we just had so many analytical extroverted people so I look at that as well and there's like short term with hiring and building the team it's like short, medium and long term right so I'm meeting people right now who I would love to have an amazing c o o next year all right now it's a bit too early but um and also it takes time to build that relationship. This person is so critical for the company it needs to be the right person definitely, and you need to be sure you're getting into who you're getting like married to essentially mm-hmm. so to me it's a six month process, but then we need a contractor for now because we've got two people on paternity leave, two two of our back-end engineers are going on paternity leave one after the other. So we need a contractor. But I keep saying this phrase, contractors are human too, because in tech, contractors get put in a corner, given so a true. computer. Sometimes they don't even know, you don't even know they're arriving, no one knows who they are. So I'm like, how can I give our temporary contractor the best experience ever and give him hope <laughs> for companies, you know? Today we had our Friday team lunch and he was like, what, you have a lunch together every Friday? Someone cooks. No way. That's weird. Aww. And I was like, that's, that's how it is. So, yeah. And then generally I've just hired head of operations person who I'm so excited. And the first task that I've given him is uh, something that I learnt from the guys at base camp, which is think of the company as your product and your users are your employees. Are you giving them the best user experience ever? If you design the company like a product, right? Like what's their, how do they hear about the company? What's their onboarding journey? That's what's cool. the user experience like? So I said to him, design the company like it's a, it's a whole new product. And he's so hyped about that.
0: Nice. That's awesome. I've never thought of it like that, but I kind of wish... I had, like, as an employee listening. One of the things that I really enjoyed reading about was how you got everyone to write their, like, user
1: manuals. Oh, yeah, we love it.
0: <laughs> so
1: is it something everyone has to do? Everyone has to do it. So I stole it from Claire Johnson Hughes from Stripe. I, oh, yeah. yeah, and she was at Google before. Yeah, she wrote it in um, Elad Gill's High Growth Handbook, and I read it, and I was like, hmm, this is great. I also, um, I love the German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer. Oh, okay. And he's, he's got a book called About Myself. And it's the same thing. It's how he, what he thinks, why he thinks what he thinks. And I like this type of, it's very stoic self-reflection, which I, you know, philosophy that I fully subscribe to. It's thinking about why you think the way you think and how you operate. And when we first started doing it, people found it really difficult. They would be like... I've never thought about myself and how I work. Mm. And I was like, therefore, the process in itself is useful. So every single Friday, so I just came straight from one, we do a short all-hands business update, and then someone presents their guide to working with me. And I would say it's the single-handed most a, a positive cultural thing we've started in the company I love that. it's it's been more effective than beers after work more effective than team socials more effective than anything so what happens is you do your Myers-Briggs test we give you a template plus you do your Myers-Briggs and you say my operating style my communication style what motivates me what demotivates me where I'm in my flow state all these types of things about who you are and everyone loves it Amazing. and then you you present it and then people talk about talk about it it's almost like a, a it's a wonderful 360 mm. where you say oh my God I totally see that's your personality type because you do this this and this and so yeah we do it and it's bloody great but we actually Fridays is so lovey-dovey in our office Aww. it's like in all hands at the very end we do shout outs. But now today, like usually we'll do one or two people shout out. But today I was like, we're going to do it differently. It's good to make stuff up on the spot. <laughs> I was like, everyone turn to your left and say one thing, a gratitude to the person on your left. And we just went around the room doing that. Nice. And even if you'd never worked with them, you would say, like one guy said, I'm grateful for these amazing, colourful shirts you wear every day. Aww. You know. And then we do fail, first attempt in learning. So anyone can say anything that they've done that week where they messed up big time. First attempt in learning is interesting because sometimes there's loads of things. Today there wasn't really anything. Mm. Um, There was a technical issue today about Google calendars and, you know, API releases. And then once we've done shout-outs, so gratitude and first attempt in learning... We take a break and then start the guide. And then at the end, everyone's like, I love you, man. I love this company. So they all leave on Friday with a warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. Which is good for me.
0: I want to copy this user manual thing. I mean, we are just going through right now. I'll send you the template. Please do. Um, We're going through our peer reviews right now. And peer reviews, of course, add value. But they feel so... Like, so much less human than what you're describing because it's quarterly, it's templated. And I feel like there should be more opportunities to share what you've worked on, what you contributed to, what, you know, what you feel could have gone better in terms of how you interact with people than at these very specific junctures. And sometimes, you know, I read back on peer reviews and it's almost like revelations like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that. I feel like that's weird. I feel like it should happen sooner or it should happen, like you say, in a more in a more holistic format where you feel like a family and you feel like you're just having a conversation. I think that's pretty cool. It'll be interesting to see how you carry on with that energy over the next few years as Beauty Stack scales.
1: (laughs) So this is an interesting thing, right? It's like things that you want to start because they scale or things that you won't start because you fear they won't scale. I remember once reading Sheryl Sandberg say, you know, we were doing birthday cakes in the office and then we just couldn't remember everyone's birthday. So we stopped doing it. And I was like, yeah, that's totally like, if you want to grow, that's going to happen. But then I think it's almost like not giving yourself the chance to develop and understand what could scale. So think of it again. You know, you can see how product driven I am, right? It's like, think of the process like a, a design sprint or a user test or anything like that where how would you know what's not going to scale until you actually do it it's like we've done this and now I've got all this feedback and I know which bits are useful which bits aren't and now I could easily think of a way it could scale in a way I wouldn't have been able to so for example we've already started talking about doing a digitized version of it so that you could click anyone's name in the company and read their like guide to working with me instantly you could also pattern match for personality types that work well together which I've done in real life as well so when someone presented their personality type um, one of our front-end developers said that's my girlfriend's personality type and we really get on and I kind of stored that information in the back of my head and then when it came up for a project to work on I put them together and they turned out to be a dream team yeah and they've done like two or three projects together now and they're from totally different sides of the company so I was like I'm already thinking how we and we've already discussed it we like every now and again we'll have a random chat about it but just because it doesn't scale now You still need to have the insight in how Mm. to scale it in the future. So you shouldn't let things stop you from doing things because you're like, this isn't going to work. We're at 500 people. I'm like, firstly, that's awfully presumptuous (laughs) (laughs) that you're going to get to 500 people. But, you know, it stops you
0: learning. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. There's still value to be gained from it. So why stop that Mm. before you need to? Oh. Oh, I like that. So being the Product Hunt podcast, we obviously cannot let you leave without telling us about the products that you love, whether that's sharing the apps that are on your home screen
1: or the apps that you can't live without. This is your time to share with the community. So the guy that I'm dating hates looking at my phone because (laughs) there are... I think eight screens of apps because they're not organized uh, you at don't all. have folders nope oh no folders gosh, oh my gosh she' swipe, is not like swipe swipe swipe, swipe 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 I couldn't live like that all right so I'll tell you my favorite <laughs> apps Go. firstly I am obsessed with apps oh <laughs> which is I can tell from which is screen. very convenient and it's funny because when you hire a product manager or any product person in your business you're just like I always say let me look at your phone because if you if you're not into tech and mm. you're not into apps how would you be able to give tell me what the absolute best user experience is Good if point. your like uh, baseline is the 10 most popular apps in the app store yeah do you get what i mean <laughs> yeah. so i'm always looking at the apps that people have on their phone so the things that i love are the pattern have Ooh, you heard of this no. <gasps> Let me get my phone. oh now. my god <laughs> prepare to have your life changed I am so obsessed with this app. Uh, Oh, my God. Even just talking about it, I'm like, I love it. Okay, tell us more. What does it do? I'll tell you why I love it. I love it for a few reasons. Firstly, it takes something as centuries old as your astrological birth chart. So, you know, ancient Chinese communities have been looking at the stars and where you were born and building natal charts. Mm. And natal charts will, you know tell one of my favorite words is auspicious it will tell you about the child's future right and it will be like year of the pig and all of this stuff which is essentially the beginning of horoscopes and astrological not the beginning but you know horoscopes have come from a massive place but essentially Mm. planets got it planets plus energy so why i love this product is you take something as human as a as a I want to use the word natal chart and not horoscope because yes. it, it is your natal chart. It's okay. not, it's not quite just a horoscope. You take something as very human and wacky and mystical as a natal chart, yes. which is where all the planets in the solar system were at the exact time, Ooh. date and location of your birth. You take wacky mysticism. You then take the history of what everyone's ever written about natal charts, which is Quite you can find it on like there's websites like Cafe Astrology where you can find your natal chart and it's like a 16 page document, it'll be for free. And they they, oh, it's so smart. Imagine that you're taking sentences that are pre-written and through machine learning you're basically piecing them together to make a AI-driven reading. Oh cool. Oh, God, it's all my favorite stuff. Okay. It's humans plus data plus machine <laughs> learning plus an app. Nice. So, the best, th- firstly, it will take your natal chart and give you your natal chart. But the way the UI is, although it's not the most beautiful app, the UI works really well. So, what I mean by that is a typical natal chart, as I said, would be a 16 page document um, that you would have to organize yourself, whereas what the pattern does is it breaks it down into themes. So I'll read you a few of my themes. Nice. Oh, there's no signal down here. But a theme, like my number one theme is dissatisfaction. Oh. And then another (laughs) one is hyperactivity. And then it will say, and then you swipe through each statement. But the way the statements are constructed are with machine learning because it will I will read some uh, let's say I'll read your pattern because I can put your pattern in I can ask text you saying where were you born yeah and then I can add you and I can read all about your personality and there'll be some sentences that are similar but not whole sections got it so that's you know how it's like done it's so smart personalized but the best thing is I can connect you and me and find out how we trigger each other Wow. Is this relationship going to work? That's awesome. Is it going to be fruitful? What are the defining dynamics of our relationship? This is so critical for how someone like me, I think a thing a founder has to do that other people don't have to do is basically change their personality to like the hundred different people they come in contact with to to get things done. So if I know that somebody likes planning an organisation I can't just throw an event on them last minute and expect them to deliver it. Whereas if I know someone's personality thrives off chaos and, and busyness, I'm like, cool, I can give that person this job. So it's that Jenga thing I mentioned earlier. Nice. It's constant testing, tweaking, pulling, seeing how much you can give someone, what you can take away. And this app helps me. <laughs> I well, The first time I downloaded it, I was on it for three hours straight. I was ob- wow. obsessed with it. I'm still obsessed with it. I check it. It's my most checked app. If you wow. checked my screen time, yeah. it's the most one. Other apps that I'm obsessed with is Notion. Oh, love Notion. Yeah, I've started using Notion and got the whole team on it obsessed with it. Also obsessed with well, I love all the astrology apps. I use CoStar and Sanctuary. Do you use Sanctuary? That's a new one. It's also amazing. I love Superhuman.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I use that a lot. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm still not on that train. I'm, it's like $40 a month, isn't
1: it? $30 a month, which is about £20. Okay. And the way I see it is I'm, it is my most used service, so why on earth wouldn't I pay for it? Mm, yeah, you I guess I mean? it saves you time, as it claims to do. It's a, it's not It's not just the time-saving. It's the anxiety I used to get about, oh, I've forgotten about this niggling feeling that i had unanswered <laughs> i dropped balls you yeah. know and now i don't get that That's because awesome. i know that everything's organized in a beautiful beautiful ui like you know the i definitely could you could hack google and do this yourself but it's ugly <laughs> i obviously love beauty stack yeah which is great app like a couple of my friends have got apps that I use a lot and I give testing back. So there's three. Michelle, as you said, on Peanut, I'm constantly using Peanut. I think it's so beautifully designed. I'm so impressed by the design. Voitech shout out to you, the because <laughs> we sat in the same office for a year. Um, I love that. I love Moody, which is my friend Amy's app. I check that a lot. Like, for example, right now... I'm like, my body, I've, my stomach's feeling really tender. I'm a little bit irritable. I will check Moody. Nice. Like, the minute I think, why am I being like this? And then Moody will tell you not only based on your cycle, but based on all these other things like the weather, th- the humidity, where the moon is right now, like why I might be acting the way I'm acting. And then I also check Furley. Which do you know? Love Furley? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Billy at Furley, I met through Local Globe, and um, you know, I am quite interested in sexual. Well, she calls it sexual wellness, yeah, which is what it is. I'm also more interested. She keeps laughing at me because she's like, "This app, this app's not quite for you." Because <laughs> I'm like, it's just a bit tame (laughs) um so yeah you know i think it's brilliant app and i'm excited to see where it goes i love really i'm even just their newsletter is greatly amusing
0: it's so important to have these conversations as human beings and particularly as women and i remember one of the subject lines was like how long do you like sex to last for and i was like no one's ever asked me that (laughs) and i'm glad that she could thanks for all your recommendations moody as well great content i feel like we're entering a new era of well-being and Identity, thanks to your product and all these other ones that you've mentioned. So it's definitely a great time to be alive. I'm very happy for
1: it. It's really about for me. It's about data-driven well-being. Though I, you know, equally as clinical as I am spiritual, I need data just as much. Or I trust my intuition. I like facts. Yes, <laughs> and these new these new apps give you facts mm. for mystic- for mysticism, which is what I because like, I think mysticism is hugely important. The woman is the most mystical object ever. Yes. What they have. So like I love mysticism, but I also love like hardcore information. So for folks who want to follow you and Beauty Stack, where can they find you online? So I am on Instagram and Twitter as at Sharmadine Reed and then my everything at Beauty Stack, which is a great challenge to <laughs> get. Sick name though. Yeah. Great. Because I wanted it to be like technical stack for beauty. That's how it 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 took me ages to think of it. It makes sense. Stacks. Stacks and beauty. Stacks on stacks on stacks. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Hey,
0: everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into Product Hunt Radio. I've got a favor to ask you. Will you take a minute to review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now? Thank you.
1: Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, share the podcast with your friends on Twitter and tag a guest you'd like to hear in a future episode. See you soon.